0: Good evening, everyone. Our sermon text this evening is from Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Our Father, you have given so much to us, and as we just sang every morning. We receive new mercies. Those of us in Christ receive new mercies. You forgive us despite our failures. Even those of us with besetting sins, you forgive us. You're faithful to your covenant through Christ. And this evening, I pray that we will learn to value what you value and that we will seek first your kingdom. Work in such a way, edify your people, even through me, your servant, in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount, a few weeks ago I spoke to you from the Sermon on the Mount, then it was about salt and light this evening, about treasure, treasure on earth, treasure in heaven, two ways. Of living are presented in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches us that to be his disciple is to be altogether different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees, those teachers of the law who twisted God's words. And G- Jesus teaches us that to be his disciple is to be altogether distinct from the Gentiles or unbelieving world. Jesus' followers must view the world differently than unbelievers. And in this sermon, Sermon on the Mount. Part of what Jesus does is establish a series of contrasts between these groups of people. There are those who belong to the kingdom of the earth and those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus contrasts various things. One thing he does is he contrasts those men who pray. Those who pray in order to be seen by men. And then there's the one who prays in his closet secretly for God's glory. Jesus contrasts the person who does a good work for God's glory and the man who does good works and sounds a trumpet that he may be seen by them. Jesus contrasts the one who's on the easy, broad path, that path that leads to destruction. He contrasts this with the man on the narrow path, the path that leads to life. Jesus contrasts the one who builds his house on the sand versus the one who builds his house on earth. The rock. And here in our passage this evening, Jesus gives two realities. Two realities this evening. You can lay up treasure in heaven or lay up treasure on earth. These are your options. And as we will see, it appears at first that the difference between these two options is a matter of where they are placed. If you read this, First, it can seem, well, there's treasure. You can either put it in heaven or put it on earth, but that is to misunderstand this text.
1: It's not just a matter of
0: place. It's a matter of kind. It is more accurate to say that the treasures are different because they are different in kind. In other words, there is treasure that is earthly, temporary, and fading. Such treasure belongs to the kingdom of Babylon, and the other treasure is heavenly, Everlasting, And it belongs to the kingdom of Christ. These are the two options. My main point then this evening is that if you are in Christ, laying up treasure is to obey the great commandments. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God is to lay up treasure in heaven. That would be the main point first verse 19 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth this is a heavy sobering command from God himself do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth the nature of treasure on earth here's a couple things he lists right out the gate this is quite straightforward quite simple for one the treasure on earth Jesus is being kind to us it corrodes Moths destroy, rust destroys. No matter what it is, the physical goods of this earth, over time, will corrode. Or two, it can be stolen. You have goods on earth, there's always the risk of it being stolen in heaven. There's a contrast. There's no thieves in heaven. At least none that are not born again. They're no longer stealing. Or three... It can get lost. And if you're anything like me, you do not fear so much your goods being stolen or your goods being destroyed. You fear losing them. If anything, this is just practical stuff from Jesus. Why live for those things that will not last? In many cases, our goods will not be stolen or decay. We will just die and no longer have access to them. Consider from Luke 12... Remember this debate. One from the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell me, tell my brother to defy the inheritance with me. Jesus says to this man, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater greater ones, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose things... Will these be what you have provided? So it's he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It is foolish then to lay up treasure for oneself and not to lay up treasure towards God. But a brief caveat, brothers and sisters, I'm not suggesting that material goods, houses, cars, nice vacations, these things are not inherently bad. Such things are good if they are from the hands of the Lord. So I'm not here suggesting that we all become hermits for the glory of God. In fact, these things that I've listed houses, cars, vacations, these things are not just good. We are commanded to pursue them. We're to work and provide for our families. It's a blessing to have money, to be in a position to give money away, to educate our kids well, to bless others. These sorts of things are commands. Consider Ephesians four. For the born again person, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So we are to work so that we may bless others with our goods. But of course, this command from Jesus is like the command from James. James says to the rich, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days, and this treasure will be a testimony against them. This is prevalent throughout the New Testament. And I think oftentimes when we read this passage from Jesus we immediately go to these sorts of material goods. But there are other forms of earthly treasure. You don't have to be materially rich, in other words, to store up treasure on earth. If you're pursuing the kingdom of this earth, you can store up earthly treasures by seeking accolades or a great career. Look at the section just before this one in the Sermon on the Mount. What are the Pharisees doing? They're not simply holding for themselves great material goods. What are they living for? It's earthly treasure. They're seeking the praise of men. Look at the beginning of chapter 6. They do good deeds. Why? That they may be seen. That they may be applauded. They even deprive themselves by fasting. Why? For the praise of men. And they'll have their reward. Their reward is indeed the applause of men. It's applause from sinful men. Sinful men who are duped into believing the Pharisees were the good guys. So if you follow the Sermon on the Mount, this is just illustrating what treasure on the earth really is. The Pharisees are very much connected to our passage this evening. But there are other ways to build treasure on earth too. All of them, in one way or another, are related to idolatry. Consider all sorts of things, relationships, mastery of certain hobbies, achieving notoriety or fame. The list could go on. But well, let me spend a little bit of time here mentioning one particular earthly treasure that I think is particularly dangerous and prevalent, especially for young people. Many younger people today are not drawn to material physical goods as much as they are drawn to have experiences. This is especially true for my generation and those who are younger. There are a number of surveys out there that suggest this trend. Some of these surveys say that millennials are less materialistic than their parents. I don't know if that's true, but in my experience, many are indeed not striving to make additions to their house. They'd rather travel. They'd rather eat at unique restaurants. They'd rather see and do things. But whether or not younger people are more or less materialistic than their parents, they are committing the same error as their parents. They are storing up treasure on earth. Have you seen the latest Spider Man? Well, have you seen it in IMAX? I have. Have you heard the latest band? Yo, you have their record? Have you seen them in concert? I was on the third row. Have you been to Bali? Yeah, but did you see the Komodo Dragons? I got a picture with one. These things will be burned up. They're earthly treasures in college. A friend and I went and met some homeless folks. Something about this situation didn't add up because these guys were young. They were sitting on the corner asking for money, saying something on their side to the effect of, hungry, need help. But it didn't add up because they were so young. We went, we talked to these guys. I believe we gave them the gospel. I hope we did. And we got to hear their story. And these guys yes, they were hungry. Yes, they had no money. But they were on an adventure through our town, through our college town, ran an Amtrak train. And this group of four or five people would just get on the train and just go wherever their ticket would take them. And then they would get off. And then they would go out into the town, explore. And then they would ask for money on the side of the road, saying something like, hungry, need help. So we spoke to these folks. And they were in shabby clothing, they didn't have much with them. Would you say that they were materialistic? Maybe not. But do you see that it's the same error? It's the same earthly treasure building. Material goods just don't get as many likes on Instagram as a trip to Thailand does. And as Christ's church, we should be aware of this trend in our culture. And. Aware, because it can creep into our own hearts. The New Testament ethic is this, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. So to live quietly, to work with your hands, that you may have something to give to the poor. To visit, not Thailand, For the sake of building earthly treasure But to visit widows And orphans And their distress That's what Jesus means when he says Store up for yourself treasure in heaven Do the work of the church That Is Storing up for yourself Treasure in heaven In verse 19 Jesus is commanding us What not to do Now verse 20 Let's look at that together This time, Jesus is commanding us what we are to do. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. A few notes on the language here. To lay up. To lay up is the same verb, really, as to store up, or you could say to treasure up. So we may read it this way, treasure up treasures in heaven. To treasure something is really to value something. It is to act as if that person or thing is very important. So I can say it like this. I treasure my grandfather's watch that he gave to me. Or I treasure the time I spend with my family. This is really just saying that I value these things. I value my grandfather's watch. I value time with my family. both of these are very good things. So how is this all related to loving God? Because remember, that is my main point this evening the way I get to this is by looking at this broader context. Look now again at the broader context. We looked before at what came before. Now let's look at what comes after. Just after our command to lay up treasures in heaven, we read about spiritual sight, and then we read about wealth. First, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what is this all about? This is a series, I think, of three. You have the treasure, you have the lamp, the eye, and then you have talk of money in the next few verses. Here, if if, if the eye, the eye which takes in light, if the eye is bad, the whole being is bad. So Jesus, again, is making a contrast. You're either good or you're not. You need a new Christian heart, redeemed. If you're redeemed, the light in you will be appropriate. You will not be full of darkness. You will be good, but you must be made good. Oftentimes in scripture, the eye and the heart, these are synonyms. Sometimes you'll see the eye, sometimes you'll see the heart, but both refer really to that central part of us that's really about our identity. Verses 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, you see the similarities between these three passages. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot store up treasure on earth and in heaven. It's one or the other. Which are you going to seek? What do you value? This is made all the more important from our Savior because of verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This now gets into our day-to-day. How does this affect us? How does this truth affect us? Okay, I get what you're saying. How does this now affect us? It affects us because whatever we're valuing, we're going to drift towards that. We're going to work towards that. We're going to live in light of that. Our hearts drift toward what we care about. So, believer... Where is your heart? If you're new tonight, where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Where does your mind turn towards? If you're having a good day, where does it turn towards? If you're having a bad day? Do you find yourself seeking that treasure which lasts? The kingdom of heaven. Let's flip this around for a moment. What does God treasure what does God value? I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is the sort of verse that in a certain point in my Christian walk I would have I would have hesitated to believe in face value. It says this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure. Above above all the peoples on the face of the earth, God says, You are the treasure. The people, the church is the treasure. Do we see this elsewhere? I think so. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the churches, what does he call them? He calls them my joy and my crown. What does Paul value? He values the church. It says, you are my joy, you are my crown. It's the church that Paul values. It's the church that God values. So when it says to lay up treasure in heaven, it is to do the work of the church. It is to be concerned about the work of the church. In the New Testament, we read uh, about treasure in various ways. To put this back around, let's now put it back on ourselves. The kingdom of heaven is so wonderful that there was a man who, in his joy, he sells all that he has, and he buys a field. And the field is where there's great treasure underneath the surface. And he sells out. He sells everything he has in order to buy that field, in order to have that treasure. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Have you sold everything? Again, the picture that Jesus is presenting is an all or nothing sort of picture. So let me conclude this evening. I'm going to conclude with a series of questions. I have five questions. Let's me think about heaven. The first is this. And this is in light of that last verse where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is an ethic that guides us. This is an ethic that informs Christian living. If your treasure is indeed in building the kingdom of heaven, then it's going to make a difference in your day-to-day life. So that's what these questions are here. They're diagnostic questions, and they're here to show you that. This, this passage really matters. So the first one is this. If your treasure is in heaven, why would you grumble here on earth? Grumbling, of course, is out of place. And I can think of no better illustration than one from John Newton. I've heard a few pastors give this. This is originally from John Newton. Suppose a man was going to New York to, to take possession of a large estate. And his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. So believer, imagine for a moment. You are going to inherit a billion-dollar estate. All you've got to do is drive to New York and sign a piece of paper. It's all you got to do, and a billion dollars is yours. First of all, this analogy, it falls short, doesn't it? Because in heaven, our inheritance is much greater than a billion dollars. For the sake of argument, here's your analogy. You're going to New York. You're about to sign the dotted line, and your car breaks down. You're only a mile away from the office, and you get out, and how do you walk? Are you going to grumble for that last mile? Or are you going to look around and say, I'm on my way? I'm on my way to inherit the greatest of all inheritances. Where is your treasure? If your treasure is indeed in heaven, it makes a difference in your life now, doesn't it? Second question. If your treasure is in heaven, when will you tell others that they may have this treasure too? There are a few things we can do on earth we can't do on heaven. One of them is sin. You can sin on earth. Secondly, you can evangelize. You can evangelize on earth. It's something we're not going to do in heaven. If your treasure is in heaven, if it's that valuable, if you see it as this wonderful thing, it's only natural to tell other people where the treasure is. There's so much of it. You're not going to hoard it for yourself. Question three. If your treasure is in heaven, do you realize that you are richer than everyone currently living on earth? No one is richer than you. No one. At least one day. Psalm 1611. At God's right hand is fullness of joy. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what you have coming to you. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you are his child. No one is richer than you. Fourth question. Do you realize that the wicked who prosper in this current age, their treasure will one day rot or it will rust? or it will be burned. This is made clear in Psalm 73. Let me read a few verses from Psalm 73. The psalmist is perplexed at the prosperity of the wicked. And sometimes this happens to us, doesn't it? The wicked seem to be doing well. They seem to be having a good time. And this psalmist in this particular psalm sees this. He's perplexed by it. And he's he's actually brought down at times by it. My feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. You ever see that? You ever see people who seem to go through life without a care in the world, and they're doing quite well? Their day will come. Their treasure will one day rot. Verse 18 in the same psalm, God sets them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. Meanwhile, the psalmist, we could say the church, says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength, my portion, forever. Sometimes the wicked do indeed prosper, and often their lives are more exciting, more comfortable, easier than ours, but their treasures will burn. Fifth question, and lastly, do you realize that if you were in Christ, you already possess the greatest of all treasures? Yes, look forward to that great day when we shall see Jesus face to face and we shall be made like him. In that day we will have sorrows no more. So yes, look forward to it with great hope and expectation. But rejoice now. You have the Savior now. You have the greatest of all treasures. Now, this morning, we took the Lord's Supper. You have him now. And this truth should quiet our soul. And Jesus has given us a guarantee, his spirit. And Ephesians says this that his spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance that's to come. I'll close with these words from the Apostle Paul. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until a redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So brothers and sisters, may your faith be strengthened, for Christ is already yours, and your inheritance is in heaven, and it's guaranteed, for his spirit has guaranteed the promise. And for any of you listening who do not yet know this Christ, he died, that you may live, And the Bible calls him the pearl of great price. If you look around the room, the Christians in here, they've sold out. Nothing compares to this greatest of all treasures. For Jesus, the creator of the world, saw fit to redeem a people. And God even calls this people a treasure. The bride of Christ, and he dies for them. And is their substitute. Instead of taking this wrath of God for yourself, you can trust Christ to take it on your behalf. By the way, unbeliever or anyone in here, you are laying up something for yourself in heaven. In 1 Peter, that same verb that I talked about earlier, to lay up, to treasure up, is used not just in terms of treasure, but it's used in terms of wrath. God is storing up. Same word. So you have a choice this evening. You can store up for yourself treasure in heaven or you can store up for yourself wrath from heaven. Choose Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this Christ who's been so good to us. And in our day-to-day walk, I pray that we will see that we are indeed rich in him, and that we will fight idolatry by utilizing passages like this one, simple texts like this one. May they fuel our fire in the fight of faith. And for any here this evening who have not yet repented of their sins, who have not yet clung to Christ as Savior, I pray they will. I pray they'll choose Christ. That they will store up for themselves treasures in heaven rather than storing up for themselves even more wrath from you, a holy and righteous God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll sing now praises to our God.